Hey out there, I'm John. I have a special co-host on a special show today, my lovely wife, Laura. Hey, everybody. Every time she's on, it's uh, always a pleasure. Uh, some of our highest rated episodes, babe, are whenever you're co-hosting. So Yay, me. <laughs> she is raising the roof right <laughs> now, which she doesn't do very often. Johnny is on the road uh, with Tim Hawkins right now. Because so, he actually is a big deal. Right. Johnny's kind of a big deal. He's out there doing fun stuff. and so. Uh, but today is going to be an amazing episode. We actually have a special guest in studio today, Miss Allie. Oswald Thayer. Hey, I just guys. say all of it. Hey, Allie. <laughs> She's going to be with us today. We're going to be talking about some exciting things uh, and some some helpful things in life that she's sharing. And so uh, we invited her in today. And so we just wanted to go ahead and just introduce you now. So anything you want to say from here on out, even if we haven't started the interview, you feel free just to chime in. So Okay. Awesome. I'm yeah. so happy to be here. And you know <laughs> the two of us can talk, so you're just going to have to jump in. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So, uh, Allie, so, you know, every once in a while we'll have um, people on. It seems like like everybody in our life at one point has watched our child. Like, and so you spent, what, a year? Is that because we ran everybody off? Summer. So it's just a summer. Yeah, they don't stay. A couple stayed for more than a few summers. But you stayed, Allie, when she was older. You were the last one we had. Six. I think she was turning seven. She turned seven when I had her. Yeah. 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 And that was like we were at that place in the summers. It was like, you know, we both still work and she's going to be bored. If somebody can come that she knows and it'd be fun to hang out and just watch her. But at that point you weren't changing diapers and stuff. No. No, we were playing dress up. So. (laughs) Playing dress up. But she got the sass. I did get the sass. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But I loved it. She was developing the sass right then. And there was no, uh, there was often not a filter. No, there's st- we still have a lot of no filter, but yeah. but she's learning though. But she's, she's kinda- Sadie, so that's true. Yeah. She's just Sadie. She is Sadie. She is a an, a thing unto herself. Yes. She's very, very unique. Yeah, I'm very proud of her. So My new favorite sadism, Allie, so you'll know, is she, instead of saying, like, that makes my blood boil, <laughs> she came in the other night and was upset about something, and she said, it just makes my water boil. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it made me laugh. Yeah, we don't correct a lot of things still, because <laughs> she's very, her vocabulary is very advanced. It what is. What she say the other night? In front of mom, she used the word impeccable. Yes, it was something that you know, impeccable playing is what. But she used it correctly. She conjugates things usually pretty well. So we just kind of let the fun things go because they won't be there forever. So well, and some things make my water boil too. I'll just be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's fun. Um, So we do have to begin, and I know if you're not a football fan or a sports person. you guys are UT fans, right? Yeah, love yeah, UT. James it. went to UTK. So. Right, I knew James was avid. Yes. So. Were you always avid? Did you say rabid? <laughs> well, they're kind of the same if you're UT. <laughs> avid, rabid. Were, were you already a UT fan, or has he kind of stepped it up for you since you guys got married? No, I was already a UT fan. But, yeah, but, but, definitely. But, like The hardcore started in high school. Okay. Okay, so. so you were already there. All right, good. And that's why we let you into the house. Probably. Yes, I appreciate right, it. Right, right. It wouldn't have happened. <laughs> that was yeah. a requirement. So. <laughs> it was. That's the reason the checks didn't bounce. Right, <laughs> right. We have that other checkbook we use for non-YouTube <laughs> So, <laughs> But, yeah, so uh, we had our first game last season. I say we. I mean, I'm an alumnus. I can say that. I didn't play. Not last season, last week. Sorry, last week. The first game of the season. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't play. So when I say we, I wasn't on the field per se. It's the I would have liked to we. see that, though. Right. Oh, it'd be great. <laughs> it'd be, I'm not sure I could have done much worse. Yeah. That's not true. I could have done a lot worse <laughs> than what those guys did. 
but it was pretty awful. It was. It bad. was sad. It was pretty awful. I mean, West Virginia. So here's the deal it, for all of you listeners. If you don't know, so West Virginia has a quarterback named Will Greer, who is a Heisman candidate, who played for Florida, who in 2015, when we were up by like 21 at one point, I think, they came back in the game. And it's it's hard to describe it's hard to describe the feeling. I still remember in the fourth quarter that all we had to do was stop them on one play. We had to stop them on one play. We had stopped him a lot of the game. And like he wouldn't go down. He scrambled, he scrambled, he scrambled, he scrambled, he scrambled, and he somehow got away, wouldn't go down, and then found an open receiver who was like forty yards away from the end zone and somehow we whiffed on him. And it was like the most you remember this play in two thousand fifteen? No, I don't actually. That's okay. Fine. You remember this <laughs> I play? Do. Okay. And so I don't mean like that we wish him bodily harm or in some unchristian way, but I really can't stand Will Greer. Yeah. Like I do kind of wish harm on him. Not a wish like harm. like a stub toe or something. Yes. Yes. It's like a <laughs> turf toe. Allie turf wishes toe. turf toe exactly. on her enemies. Maybe, yeah. Like Not a, maiming. Just turf toe. No, just turf toe. Just a bad case of, you know, maybe a temporary gout or something. You know what I'm saying? Something just takes over for a little while. So, you know, and he's fine right afterwards. But that dude, but here's the deal. Here's why I get so angry. And this may sound unreasonable to some, but that's what we do. We're Tennessee fans. That's right. Like, he was thrown off the team at Florida. Do you know why, Allie? No. The reason he's not at Florida anymore is because of performance-enhancing drugs. So the reason he wouldn't go down right then, we couldn't – I was like, well, this dude's like superhuman. He won't go down. He was superhuman. He yeah. was taking performance-enhancing drugs. Yeah. And so I wanted that game. I wanted the result Re- of that game. Rematch. Yes. Like, or I don't know. Let's forfeit remove – Forfeit. Or so, can you forfeit after yes, a game? Yes, <laughs> you can. You can go back and vacate championships when somebody yeah. does stuff like that. And so we just keep acting like Florida. And so I'll call my friend Matt out right now, Matt Stewart, our fact checker. Matt, I would say to you, that game 2015, we had one, and you guys had to take drugs in order to beat us. That's the only <laughs> way it happened, so much so that you threw the guy off of your own team, and yet we still claim that Florida beat Tennessee in 2015. And, I, guys, I won't stand for it. Okay. Am I the only one this enraged about this? Yes. Yes, at okay. least still, <laughs> three years later. <laughs> at least, yes, well, that's probably true. Well, I became re-enraged because he did the same thing to us, except they except he was an amazing quarterback. I doubt that he's on drugs now. I'm actually really excited that he's, you know, been restored and all those things. That's great. Just not excited that we had to face him again. It is great. But I do think that that whole thing kind of lends itself to the discussions about, so he's a Heisman candidate right Right. now. And I realize that, like, everybody's technically a Heisman candidate, right? Mm. I mean, like, they're going to Once again, I'm not. Well, everyone playing college football. (laughs) Um, I realize that, you know, they'll watch things over the season, and so they may be saying he's a candidate now, and maybe his performance is lacking later in the season, whatever. But he's already been kicked off for an NCAA violation of the substance use policy. He sat a year. That sitting out for a year is obviously the punishment. So should he be eligible for Heisman consideration or because he was a rule breaker, you know, should we not consider him? I think that it's not just a question for college football. I think that's a question that we deal with um, in all walks of life. I mean, like, when is incarceration, for example? When a person gets out, we consider that they've um, served their time. 
and that they should no longer be punished, but yet there's still a lot of punishment that goes along with it. So I don't know. I just think it's a very interesting social dynamic that's playing out in sports. I think if you did your, in some ways, if you use the incarceration example, if you did your time, then like in some ways, I, I think that we, and I know we're taking this to deeper, more serious places, but I think in some ways we're the problem with the culture of when people get out of jail, they can't rebuild their life because we still have them in jail in in a lot of other ways. Um, So I, I, but at the same time, yes, I'm a believer of the consequences of your actions and all those things. I don't know. It's one of those, the truth is, this is how, you know, if Will Greer would have transferred to Tennessee, I would be like, guys, leave him alone. He did his time. Everything's fine. He right. Have you never made a mistake? You know, mm-hmm. he's not on drugs now. He's winning by his own merit. He should be considered for the Heisman. Isn't that a great story? Like, I would be spinning if Johnny Reary be accusing me. I would be spinning <laughs> it so differently right now than he spun that ball on us in the end zone. It was perfect. Five touchdowns, 430 yards, no interceptions, flawless game against a very flawed defense. So yeah. mm-hmm. what do you think is going to happen, babe? I mean, are we going to with what are we going to find redemption at all this year, or is this what it is under the Jerry Pruitt, Jeremy Pruitt first year? You know, first of all, if I close my eyes and just listen, it's Kyle Chandler coaching on the sidelines of UT, not Jeremy Pruitt. Texas Um, forever. That's Coach Taylor. Yeah, for anybody who doesn't know who Child can't Kyle Chandler is, or Child Candler, or Child Candler. Um, So yeah, that's the first thing, but. I think that this year's just going to be a rebuild. I think that we have two weeks basically here to kind of establish some things. What I have liked so far is that he's taking ownership yeah. for the team. It's not slogan happy. It's not like some tweetable quote kind of brick by brick type thing. So I like that. What happens next, I think, is anybody's guess. Um, It was interesting because this morning, like on your Facebook memories, like your time Mm -hmm. hop or whatever, was all this stuff I had tweeted several years ago or or messaged several years ago about like the start of the butch era and being so happy about it because – Anything was better than what we had before that. And yeah. So anyway, time will tell, I guess, is the biggest thing. (laughs) Yeah. 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 We have ETSU and UTEP before Florida. But Florida is at home and Florida is going to be way overconfident, as they probably should be because now they've watched us. Florida's got a culture issue going on, too, though. They just he had to suspend like seven players in the first game. They have some issues down there. Uh, although they they did just grab a five-star point guard of the basketball team who was about to commit to us, and they just got a four-star cornerback that we were going to get. So Florida's kind of kicking our butts right now on recruiting. But anyway, is Gainesville even near water? Isn't Gainesville in the northern part of the state? Isn't it like right? I I think it's kind of in the middle, kind of like near – isn't it just a little bit north of like Ocala? Oh, you picked another place. I don't know. Uh, yeah, sorry. So, yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know. It's like, what's the... For us, Florida is <laughs> beaches and Disney, Disney? World. Yeah. Anything outside of that, we don't really know. Yeah. So I'm using, as of right now, so I'm, I'm speaking Sunday and I'm using Disney again in my intro. Oh. Um, you mean like a video? <laughs> I don't have a... You know what I thought about? 
So I was I, just saying you can't do that because they will shut down a live stream in a hot no, second. No, no, no. I'm using a Disney video. I'm talking about oh. our trips to Disney. Oh, okay. I thought about getting that video. It was my first Disney trip with Sadie where we were over in Epcot at somewhere over near uh, Jasmine's home. Which we Is have, we, we have the real live Jasmine, by the way, in studio. Yes, so. we do. Like she, Sadie you, literally thought she was Jasmine. She did. For I a had her very convinced, and I actually really appreciated it. So. It's uncanny <laughs> when you're in costume. It is uncanny how much like Jasmine. I wish I like. could still fit we, um, costume. We will. No. <laughs> we'll, we'll try to post some pictures of yes. Allie in full Jasmine regalia. Didn't you go to? Didn't you consider doing Disney character? Because you'd be I dead did, on. But I'm too short, and I have a tattoo on my hand. Yeah. So, oh no. Yeah. So I think you have to be five six. Jasmine's, really, really, really crazy about their cast member tryouts. Like you have to meet um, all these certain criteria about height, body weight, and different things. And it's that sounds really like crazy like Barbie doll. But probably has to do stuff that people can see you whenever they're in line. It's everything about costuming and consistency consistency. day in, day out, year in, year out. Um, And they switch things around a lot. Like I mean, you might be Jasmine, but then Aurora might get sick, and you need to be able to like stick exactly. on the Aurora costume. And so, I think Aurora is a funny name. It's like it's as if someone's speaking with an impediment. Aurora, it's like, it's like a dog, <laughs> like a dog saying somebody's name. Hey, go get Alala or whatever. Aurora, Aurora, Aurora. Anyway, sorry. That took a crazy turn. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Uh, but the thing is, I remember Jasmine when Sadie was in line because she and she didn't look like Jasmine to me. Like you look like Jasmine. The, yeah, I think t- Jasmine was too tall. Jasmine can't be tall. Have you not seen the cartoon? She's petite. Yeah, she yes. is. But the Jasmine at Disney is. I mean, especially when I'm five three, everybody looks tall. Yeah. But were you talking about the time when Sadie walked into Epcot and yes. said, "I'm a princess and I feel great" or something? Yes, we had that video. <laughs> She's like just spinning and twirling. Like it was like day four or something, and literally the magic just took over. Like she was just like, "I'm a princess." Like she was just. What was she five? I think when um, we first that was took her. the first trip. So yeah, she had. I think I did that five. at eighteen though. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't blame her. <laughs> oh, there's great. just no place like it. There just really isn't. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about, I don't want to ruin it because everyone's going to be here to listen to the message on oh, Sunday. Oh, yes. And yes. everybody listens to the podcast, so I don't want to spoil it. So, Speaking of weird Disney things, so, Allie, have you seen the new Christopher Robin movie? Christopher no, but I Robin. really want to. Well, and I really want to see it, too. And I did, several people that I know have seen it. Um and I did ask some questions because it does seem a little more, not dark is not the right word, but it's a little more complex and mm-hmm. it's, you know, obviously not cartoony necessarily. So I didn't know how much Sadie would enjoy it. And several people who know her pretty well said she'll do fine with it, but just get ready for all the questions because she's such a, like, has she's to. She's a deep thinker. Yeah, she yeah. is. She has yeah. to know everything. But I did read something really interesting this morning that the release of the Christopher Robin movie has been banned in China, which normally what? all the Disney movies, you know, do international releases and China's a huge market. And that like what kind of a negative impact it's going to have on the film's, you know, net worth and bottom line. But it's because Winnie the Pooh is seen as a symbol of. Political dissident. 
in China. Well, apparently there have been some past illustrations, and I, I probably won't get their president's names right, but it's like President Jinping and... There have been some, I guess, cartoons or like political satire or whatever that compare him to Pooh. Because what does he say? Like, what is he? The bear with little brain is what they call Pooh, like Mm -hmm. in the old um, books and everything. And so there's been like this whole comparison kind of thing, political cartoons and stuff. And so because, again, it's, you know, a country that is still very much a dictatorship. I thought you were going to be like, there's all these, there's there's this movement of poo, like, you know, holding a machine gun, all these militant. No, no, I know, but it was the weirdest. When I saw the headline, I was like, Winnie the Pooh seen as, you know, it just was crazy to me. So, you know, total clickbait probably, but I did, I found it really interesting. Apparently, like, even when, because... President Jinping, I guess, has been in office for a while. And apparently, like, even when President Barack Obama was in office, like, they did some golf outing and somebody, like, overlaid Pooh and Tigger. Mm. Because obviously President Barack Obama was much taller than... So anyway, I just found it all very fascinating. But you don't think about how, um, I guess, these, like, Obviously, countries where we don't have the freedoms that we do, like what kind of a global impact it's going to have from an economy perspective, because movies are really, really big business. Right. Uh, That's the craziest. I don't know. He's the most, I guess, ambivalent, gentle. I guess that's the deal. They're making fun of the current president. I I guess. I suppose. But yes, I could see you being upset about others. But like, I don't know, Pooh and Paddington and things like that. How can it go? How can it go south? I mean, it's such a. Yeah. I don't know. I think we need to have the Chinese president on the podcast. I don't think that that's going <laughs> to so. happen. But can we talk about your poo that you had when you were little? Well, I suppose so. What kind of poo? We're talking about the bear, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't want to know about any of your other poos. Let's just so I didn't keep any of the other. Can we it's... say poo on a podcast? Oh, and it'd be okay? absolutely. It just happens. Okay, absolutely. there you go. I did so, not keep the other poo. John has, uh, and we still have it. His mom gave it to us, but he has a little um, stuffed Winnie the Pooh, maybe about, I don't know, six inches tall. And um, it's just the cute little poo, you know, with the red shirt and the honey. And uh, his mom drew a belly button on it for him because when he was little I guess what was your deal you didn't like the fact that Pooh didn't have a belly button I don't know mom drew belly buttons I had Pooh and I had Jack and Jack was a Snoopy I had him too Jack was my favorite I don't know why I named him Jack and not Snoopy but I loved Pooh and I loved Jack and I'd play with them I'm talking probably three well you were very little I I was real little you know and we're not talking like last week (laughs) right I was 17 (laughs) I don't know why I couldn't get a date but uh, the the poo, mom, I don't know. She, she was such a cute thing mom always did. She drew. And it's still, I still have. Do we have the poo or yeah, just we, Jack? No, we have poo. I don't think we have Snoopy. No, we have Jack somewhere. Okay. I think he's in Sadie's stuffed animals over there. Okay. Well, poo is for sure. But poo, really? poo has a little black belly button drawn yeah. on his it. belly. Yeah. So. And, and mom, who listens to the podcast and who lives with us now. So we just, uh, mom, we just finished our three-month remodel. Of our, uh, so I need to go find the Pooh and Jack and show to mom because she may not realize that they're there. So when we went to Disney this last time, we did um, Crystal Palace. So that's the one that has the Pooh characters. Mm-hmm. And so I got a picture of John and Pooh and sent to his mom. Mm-hmm. So I do, and I hate to be all middle schoolish about this, but it has always, 
struck me as interesting that you would somehow name a character the Pooh. You know, like Winnie I just, the Pooh. Well, it's Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, but what is a Pooh? I don't know, but that <laughs> book is A. A. Milne, I think, wrote the Christopher Robin or Winnie the Pooh books. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I don't know. Those it's, are old. It's also uh, English, right? Like yeah, from yeah, yeah, England. Yeah. So, I think so I actually read that recently to my daughter. So, yeah. like the originals. Well, and speaking, and they were hard to read. Actually. Oh yeah. And speaking yeah. of Ella, which just so everyone knows, yes, Cinderella. <laughs> Cinderella. Her absolutely. name is Ella because Allie's kind of mildly Disney obsessed. Um, <laughs> like, has Ella like developed an affinity? Because she's still really little, but has she developed an affinity for a certain doll or toy or anything yet that she's yes. really attached to? Her unicorn pixie is her absolute okay. favorite. She freaks out, starts shaking, shaking her arms <laughs> up and down, and then you give it to her and she just embraces it in this Aww. hug. And then um, my husband recently bought her a sloth at the zoo, like a little sloth stuffed animal. (laughs) And that's also now her new favorite. So Pixie and sloth are competing right now. But she has pretty much the same reaction. Pixie wins out on that. James, bad call on the sloth. Go for the sloth. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm with that. I mean, yeah. It's pretty cute. I mean, it's a little sloth guy, but... Yeah, naming an animal—that's mm, such a bad character. When you literally named an animal after one of those, the deadly Seven sins. Deadly sins. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, well, it's very. I want an animal called Gluttony. Like I want to know what it looks like. Yeah, you know James. Saying? Why didn't you buy her Gluttony or Lust or Pride? We're gonna or... make ourselves a whole new set of animals. How old is how old is Ella now? Ella is just over seven months. Gosh, I know. I that, can't believe it. You're getting dangerously close to. Crawling, lots of mobility. Yes, yeah. And she's trying. She's rocking mm. and trying to put her hands out. And the world changes yeah. when they can move. It yeah. sounds so cliche, but it truly. So, I'm an Enneagram six. Or do you do the? Do you or do you Enneagram? Can we make that a verb now? I don't know. Do you Enneagram? Enneagram. I think I've taken it, and I don't remember what I am okay. on that. But. So, yeah, don't let Laura hear that. She's, uh, <laughs> I actually listened. I was mowing the grass yesterday on my day off, and I actually listened to an hour Enneagram podcast by myself without one that she sent to me. So, I mean, I think I'm officially – and I actually had a conversation with a friend this morning, and I was saying, hey, just – I think that the, the main things about it are that, that I've been taking away are that – we and somebody said, you know, the main issue against Enneagram or anything like that is that people don't want to be pegged, which is the main reason I hated it. Mm-hmm. I hate it. Don't peg me as anything. Mm-hmm. But instead, what we actually do is we peg everybody as one of two things: either you're well adjusted or something's wrong with you. Yeah, like oh, you're good or you're you're not. You don't have it together. That's how we peg everybody, and, right. and that's what we really do. It's like if you're honest with yourself, we're all sitting around going, "Well, yeah, he's cool. She's crazy." Like. We have one. You may use different words, but I it's, fall way on the crazy spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't do, you know. So this whole like I don't want to be pegged. We peg everybody by two things, and what this is doing is, is acknowledging, as the ancients did, that there may be more than two ways that people are wired in this world, or the way more than two ways that people look at the world. Mm-hmm. So their motivations are different than just two things, and so I think that that's really really helpful. But that being said, I'm a six. And I'm, I'm motive my, my, if you want to call it deadly sin or what's the other way to say it, babe, that's um, kind of the religious way, but there's another way. Your, your, your greatest challenge, your, your fault, challenge or your yeah, weakness yeah. is fear. 
you know, but I'm actually a counterphobic. So when something, when something seems, that's always my whole life when I'm afraid of something, but I really am motivated by fear. I go and try to beat it immediately. Like that's the way if I have a challenge to go face it. So when Sadie became mobile, this is all time back. <laughs> this is a rabbit trail that I brought back to, to ground zero. Got it. And I just put two metaphors, ground zero and rabbit into one well articulated sentence. And so what, when she started now, my fear started coming out in terms of baby proofing the house. Like, and I still do this. And Laura was laughing the other day. I do this with people when, when my grandparents come over or whatever. Like I see every tripping hazard. I see every sharp object. I see every corner of every counter. Like how long at our old house? You remember the old house? John literally walk by and like stick his hand there for you people. Remember how that counter stuck out, you know, yeah. where you come yeah, in that yeah. hallway? Mm-hmm. My, when Sadie, when she was little, she just ran underneath it. And I would tell Laura from the moment that we moved in, well, that Sadie came home. I said, someday she'll be tall enough. She's going to be, she's gonna be used to running underneath it and not realize she's grown tall enough and she's going to run headlong into this counter. Mm-hmm. And, and let's be honest, she was tall enough at like two. <laughs> right. She gets tall real fast. Yeah. But I just, I wonder how different people, because I see that's the assumption for me is that everybody's that way and they're not. No. And so it's not just I'm a fearful person. I am wired. And when I'm, I have healthy ways because I actually help people not get hurt. Like I know several times I've dried up water and the floor sure. and, and that someone could have come along. So I'm looking out for other people. I'm made that way, but I can go too far in unhealthy places. But I just wonder how like people like both of you, because I know you're a two and we're not sure what you are. I just wonder how you are thinking about, how do you think about Ella's mobility? Are you the one? Because a lot of dads, my bet is James is already like, all right, we got to lock these cabinets up and all those He's things. He's the one who bought the 40-piece baby-proofing kit off go. of Amazon. Some yeah. of that's just dad, regardless right. yeah. of personality. But how do you feel about getting ready for a kid to be able to get to all things in your house? I mean, I'm excited for her to be independent, and I've actually really encouraged that in her. Like, I think she was sitting up at five months old, and Mm. I just want her to be capable in doing those things. Um, But I also, I'm kind of like opposite of you where I don't think about those things, which could potentially be harmful. I was like asking James, I was like, do we really need a baby gate on the stairs? Like, surely Mm. she's capable. She can just do it, right? (laughs) Uh, But I've been corrected multiple times on that thought. But (laughs) I, I mean, I don't know. I just... It's probably um, me being naive to like what it will actually be like when she's moving, but I'm excited for it. And I just don't think about, you know, I don't know. My brain doesn't go there. The great thing about babies at that age is they are pretty much just still rubber. I mean, bad things can happen, but they do bounce (laughs) more than they break. Um, You know, I think that I was less fearful about some of that stuff Mm -hmm. with the baby things. It's more the now stuff, especially being a former ER nurse and kind of knowing like what the larger dangers are. For me, it's more the stuff like bike helmets. And I totally get that we didn't wear them and all those things. Um, But I tend to think more about things like massive head trauma and (laughs) those type things more than just like, okay, she's going to roll down the stairs and be bumped and bruised. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that makes sense. See, what I think of it in terms of. If this is this is horrible, if you really want to delve deep, do I, we want to delve deep into your dark spots, babe? It's not that I can prevent all things. I don't want to have any role of responsibility in somebody else getting hurt, right? Because that tortures me, right? And so there's so many things when tragedy even happens. Like if I have a role in my head of responsibility in it, 
then it it absolutely tortures me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of it for me is is I'm trying to baby proof my life a little bit. Yeah, that I'm going to remove all the things where because hurting me I can handle to some extent, right. you know. But you know, like I was driving on the road of the day, and I know you're going to judge me hard. You're going to judge me so hard. I have a habit of getting in the car, making Sadie put her seatbelt on, but we're just driving to school in the truck and not putting mine on. And you do the same thing. You ride next to me all the time. <laughs> we'll get on the interstate before I remember. And, and, I, and in my mind, the thought is, as long as Sadie's protected, that's all I really care about. Right. Like, you know, and you're just a parent. Yeah. And that's fine. But then I started thinking, but yeah, hey, moron. If you go flying through this windshield, what's that going to do to Sadie? Right. You know what I'm saying? You're, and so then I put my seatbelt on. Like I only really begin to – that's why sometimes I think there's a little bit of two in me. I only really begin to process a lot of things when I think about how they affect others around me. Right. It's well, a, there's a lot of all the numbers in all of us. Yeah. We, we don't just have one. So I mean I'm self-centered. It's not that. I just – I think for family, we call that narcissism. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Let's talk more about me. Is and that if okay? Johnny so. was here, Johnny would pivot as hard right into the whole line, the laws about seatbelts and oh, Johnny bicycle guys, helmets. Yes. Like you can't legislate that I take care of myself. Yeah, Johnny so. thinks Johnny thinks it's against his rights, his civil <laughs> rights, and for you to force him to wear a seatbelt. Right. He no. probably takes that as a suggestion, not like a law. Well, he does it now. He said it actually changed his mind on yeah. it. I think for the same reasons, but. That in his mind, as long as everyone else is safe, he has the right to be unsafe if he wants to for himself, you know. But I don't know. It's well, I think we resolved that, and he came to a, another. We'll see if he listens. Safer conclusion. We'll see if he listens or not. Because then, thirty minutes into this podcast, we'll see if he says actually paid to attention, me. right? Because I don't think he will. Well, Johnny, here's I'm calling the you deal. out. <laughs> Most people, and I will, I'll go there, Johnny. Most people, because Johnny's so funny, um, and obviously he makes his living being funny, and Oh my goodness, he's on Amazon Prime now, right? His special? Johnny's Johnny W's uh, live at Franklin Theater just went on Amazon Prime. You can watch it on Amazon Prime. Again, he's a big deal. The rest of us are not, which is why we're sitting here in a church nursery <laughs> recording a podcast. But all I was going to say about that is when I first met John and was getting to know Johnny, obviously, uh, I spent a lot of time with the liquids of my dinner coming out like my nose and all over my plate um, <laughs> from laughing so hard. I got to the point where I was like, okay, don't order Coke because it burns way more than sweet tea. Like just have water um, when you're at dinner with Johnny. But what I was going to say in all that is he's hysterical, but he also is very, very intellectual and thinks deep thoughts about things like his civil rights and seatbelts. <laughs> oh, Johnny's the smartest, deepest guy. I know. It's so funny when Johnny first started doing um, like sermons and classes and stuff, they were really heavy. He and I talked about that because I'm, I'm, I can be really heavy. I have to really make myself, I can go down those holes. And I actually listened to a great podcast yesterday that had Dave Barnes on uh, talking. He was in an Enneagram podcast and Dave Barnes is a funny guy doing stand-up now, you know, mm-hmm. so he's this great songwriter, this Grammy-nominated guy, but he's talked about that's one of the things he wants people to know about him is that there's, hey, I can talk about other things. I don't, And he has right. to limit himself to not just always be the life of the party, but that there's other deeper sides. But, yeah, Johnny's a, Johnny's a deep one. That's why I love the podcast with Johnny because, yes, he's funny on here, but he – He's brilliant. He's brilliant. And he did not ask us to do this. He did not know we are going to talk about it. But you need to, if you're listening, 
You need to go to Amazon Prime. You need to watch it. And more importantly, you need to give it five stars if you like it. If you don't, I'm not telling you how many stars to leave. But if you like it, give them five stars. Then you need to write a review because that really helps. That really helps. And that's a big, big deal. We're very, very proud of Johnny. Johnny, no matter how many stars it gets. (laughs) You're five stars (laughs) in our book. You have a five-star heart, Johnny. That's right. Just like Butch Jones said. We call that a full circle time. Full circle moment. Well, this today for us is really coming full circle because Allie, um, who is with us today, is one of our former students, um, came up through some of our youth ministry Mm -hmm. years. Um, And like John said, she did uh, keep Sadie for us for a summer, and um, now she is a wife and a mom to a beautiful little girl, Ella. And um, most of you who have kind of followed the podcast for um, a little bit know that we all have been sort of deeply impacted by um, some issues surrounding mental health um, in the Mm -hmm. last little bit. And one of the reasons that we wanted to have Allie on today was to talk to us about this amazing new journey that she has been on, um, that she is kind of spearheading with a group of women and with the support of her husband to talk about some uh, issues surrounding uh, mental health and specifically uh, postpartum and the effects of postpartum depression. And so we really want to just take the time to talk about these things because I do think that it is so very important in the church, especially that we don't wait to have conversations about mental health when there's a problem, that we don't wait to have conversations about mental health after we have been impacted by tragedy. The first time that people hear us talk about issues of the mind um, should not be kind of in a too late scenario and mm-hmm. as an afterthought. So we really wanted to just kind of open up the discussion and talk through those things with Allie today because she's got some really, really, really important experiences, I think, to share. Absolutely. Allie, why don't you just start by telling us your story and telling us how how did you get to where you are now with what you're going to share? I'll try and do like a Cliff Notes version of it because it's like an eight-week-long um, <laughs> thing. Um, but I, I will start with the birth of my daughter. Um, it was a lot more traumatic than I ever expected it to be. It was 20 hours of labor, contracting an infection, becoming tachycardic, and then they had to stop Pitocin, and they were like, okay, she's too stressed out. You're too stressed out. Let's just take her. And I wasn't dilating and all of that. Um, and then my C-section ended up being two hours, which normally is supposed to be like a 30-minute procedure. Um, and I ended up being asleep for her birth. I didn't even mm-hmm. become cognizant to the fact that I had had a baby until about 13 hours later. And they wow. were like, here's your child. And I was like, what? Um, and so I don't remember the first time um, attempting to breastfeed her or holding her. I don't have any recollection of that at all. Um but all in all in the hospital, I feel like I'm I'm somebody who can take, you know, a situation that didn't turn out like I thought it was going to and just kind of, that wasn't what I expected, but it's fine. Let's just move on. And that's really what I was able to do in the hospital. Um, even though I didn't get those first like really initial bonding moments with her, which I think later affected um, my mental health really heavily, not being able to bond to her in the mm-hmm. hospital. Um, but before you leave the hospital, they ask you all these questions like, are you able to laugh at things? Um, do you see the bright side of things? Are you bonding well? And I just kind of laughed, laughed that off. Um, 
and was like, I'm fine. I love my child. Everything's great. Um, and so I headed home with like really high hopes that everything would be better from there on out after leaving the hospital. Um, and the first two weeks, it was really hard. Breastfeeding was a really big challenge for me. Um, we weren't getting any sleep. I ended up tearing some stitches internally and was just in a lot of pain and my recovery was not smooth. And I was really starting to feel trapped um, and feeling like I will never feel like myself again. This is not going to get better. I'm going to be stuck in my town home, <laughs> you know, and not recover from this. Um, and then it took, you know, every, everybody's like, well, it's just the baby blues. You're adjusting, whatever, which I'm sure that's what it started out as. And then by week three of her life, um, my mom had been staying with us up until that point. And, um, she was about to go home and James was at work and she said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm packing up to go. And I just went into full panic mode and I was like, I can't be here alone with her. I, I don't like her. I don't want her in my house. I'm going to hurt her. I'm going to hurt myself. And just went into this spiral. And, um, mom later would tell you like she was actually really fearful. And so she decided that she wasn't going to leave until James got home. But I had looked at mom and said, I need to go outside and just take a minute. Um, because I can't breathe <laughs> and Ella sitting in her swing and I couldn't look at her. I was just like, Oh my gosh, can somebody just take her away from me? I can't do this. I feel trapped. And so I went out and was just having a full blown panic attack. And I came back inside and looked at my mom and I was like, I need help. Like I'm not okay. I think this is deeper than, wow. you know, whatever. And I, so I started Googling what the heck is wrong with me because I've never dealt with depression or anything like that. And I read this one, um, I guess it was more of an article than like a clinical website, but it was like, these are some, you know, signs of postpartum depression, which I had not even really heard that term before. And I started reading through it and it was like, you know, you feel like you just made the biggest mistake of your life. You feel like you're never going to be yourself again. You can't even stand looking at your child. You can't stand the thought that they're going to be in your home for the next 18 years. Mm -hmm. And I just lost it. I was like, mom, I think I have postpartum depression. I really do. Um, which was a really hard thing for me to come to terms with because I look at my life and it's like, I have a great support system, family. I'm a believer, all of that. Like I don't, I did not feel like I was somebody that would be susceptible to mental illness. Um, so it was hard for me to come to terms with it by, but by the next day I was at my in-laws house with my husband and my mother-in-law being a, uh, she was a school counselor for like 20 plus years, but she dealt with the mental health issues and stuff within the school system. So she looked at me and I hadn't been eating. I hadn't been sleeping. I was back down. I gained like 45 pounds with my pregnancy and I was back down to my pre-birth weight in three mm. weeks after having her because I wasn't eating and I wasn't sure. sleeping. Um, and I, I came down the stairs. She had said, go take a nap. I will take the baby for three hours. I just laid there for three hours and cried and cried. And I just, I, it was awful. And I came downstairs and Ella wasn't even doing anything. She was just, you know, being a baby. And I looked at her and cried. I just, I just absolutely lost it. And Dona, my mother-in-law was like, we're taking you to get help right now, get in the car. And so her husband, her husband, my husband and her, um, took me to the ER actually at St. Thomas, which is where I delivered my baby. And, uh, the doctor there, uh, I got a really awesome ER doctor, which I felt like was a total blessing. Um, but she had actually had postpartum with her kids. Right. And she was the first one who had looked at me in that whole, uh, it was only three weeks, but within that three week journey, that was like, the newborn stage is awful. It was terrible. 
I hated it. You know, she was like, I was on, and I was like, what other people go through this? And, you know, and this lady's like divulging it to me right now. And I just cried and was so thankful that somebody saw me and understood a little bit Mm. what I was feeling. And so she said, here's the game plan. We're going to put you on antidepressants and um, anti-anxiety. And because the depressants can cause anxiety. And so she put me on that that evening. We actually ended up driving around downtown. This is at like 10 o'clock at night. And they're like, this is the only pharmacy that's open. So we stayed out till midnight to get me this medication. And my baby was... She was with my friends, and then she was with my brother and sister-in-law, but I really didn't even care. <laughs> like Somebody yeah. just said, I don't care where she's right. at. You leave her with a hobo on the street right now, and I do not care. Mm. <laughs> um, but they they went and got me my medication, and I ended up taking it that night. Um, and the doctor had looked at me and said, you need to quit breastfeeding because not only is it stressing you out so heavily, but also she can't have the medication you're about to be on right. through the milk. Yeah. And so I had to stop doing that, so I had to, like um, – bandage and wrap up that night. And I took my medication. It was the first time I had slept like genuinely for like five hours, but that was, I mean, better than like the hour and a half to two hours that I have been getting. Um, so that was really the start of the journey. Um, and that was not the first time I went to the ER, but, uh, or not the only time I did go, I ended up going a second time, but I got a little better after starting the antidepressants. But, um, after getting, up to a higher dosage of them um, and not realizing the effect that it would end up having on me after it built up in my system, it sent me into suicidal ideations. Um, And everything in my mind became a weapon the morning that that really happened. Um, And I just, you know, we have firearms in the home, so obviously that was an option. And then the knives and then the medications and then, you know, your mind just goes to everything. And my mom was there that morning that I just broke and was sitting in my kitchen on the floor, just wishing, I was like, God, please kill me. I can't look at my daughter. I don't want my daughter. Um, you know, I just, it was awful. Um, but I went outside and, and sat again, trying to gain control of myself. And I just remember being on my knees and just praying that God would take me. Why didn't you take me? I asked you to take me last night in my sleep. You know, like, why am I still here? And so, um, I went back inside and, um, my mom had the foresight to call my husband to come home from work cause he had to go to work that morning. And so he came home and they loaded me up to take me back to the ER because they didn't know what else to do with me sure. at that point. And, um, they wouldn't let me get a hold of anything at that point to like hurt myself. So I started clawing at my face and just desperate to feel something in that moment because I was so numb and had been. Um, but when he came home, actually, before they took me to the ER, he said, Allie, we just need to pray. I said, James, I don't want to pray. Like, you know, unless it's for God to take me out of this world right now, I don't want to pray for healing. I don't believe in that right now. You know, like this is where I'm at. I can't see past that. And, but regardless, he tried to hold me and pray. And I started physically fighting him and pushing him and threatening all the ways I was going to kill myself, which I don't remember that part. Um, but they later told me that that's what I was doing. I mean, it was a full psychotic break for me. Um, but they loaded me up and took me to the hospital and, um, they had to, they called it like a tranquilizing pill. They were like, take this. And it made me pass out sure. for like hours. Um, cause you know that, you know, they looked at me, they were like, you're going to be here for a while. Um, and so anyways, I woke up and they said, you know, we need to send you to, um, a facility, a facility out in Franklin. That's a mental health institution. Um, and so I ended up going out there after the ER and, um, 
I actually didn't end up staying. I was only there for about six hours. Um, but it was because we did not have peace or my husband really didn't have peace. He was like, this just doesn't feel right. They had left me in a room for four hours. That was like white walls, a chair, (laughs) and that was it. And nobody came in to assess me, but I was back there by myself. Um, but so I didn't end up staying there. Um, my husband was like, let's make a game plan where, um, my parents are going to take the baby for five nights so that you can actually try and sleep at night. You're going to go visit her during the day. Um, we're going to bring you back down on your antidepressant dosage. So that all started that, uh, that was a Tuesday night that that happened. Um, and that's like, I would say when the healing started, um, but the next day, which was a Wednesday, um, everything felt pretty normal. I felt really like okay, I have some relief. We have a plan put in place. Things are going to get better. Um, and then that evening was going to be the evening that Ella started her five night stay at my in-laws house. And so, uh, my mom and James were at the house with Ella and I, and they said, okay, it's time to pack her up and take her. And despite everything I had been feeling, I was feeling like a total failure. Like, wow, I'm her mom and I can't even be alone with her or have her in the house at night. Um, and, and so that really sent me into another spiral that night where I just started crying and despite everything, really just not wanting her to leave, even though I didn't really want her there. And that Um, makes perfect sense. It was, it was very, uh, torn emotions between that, but we ended up going over to his parents' house with her packed up and I cried the whole way there. (laughs) We got there, I was crying and, um. Dona, my mother-in-law, said, why don't you and James go just get in the hot tub and just try and relax, like calm down, try and breathe a little bit. And so um, we went out there and it was just he and I, and he looked at me and he was like, Allie, just be really candid right now. Like, what are you feeling? Why are you crying? We have a plan put in place. Like what, you know, you felt so good about what's going on. And I just told him, I was like, I just want to drown myself right now in the hot tub. I just hear this voice saying, like, it doesn't matter. Nobody needs you anyway. You're a burden on your friends and your family. Um, your daughter would be better off without you. Your husband can find another part or uh, another wife that would do better at being a mother. And it was just all these lies um, coming into my head. And I told him I wanted it to just be him and I again. She had stolen our lives. and um, But I had a, a moment after telling him all of these things where I said, but none of that is true. Like if I look at myself before the season that I'm in right now, like I always wanted to be a mom. I love children and babies. This is what I wanted. This is what I wanted my life to look at, like look like, and now I'm here and I'm hating it. And so why? And I didn't have the answer to that. And so I just looked at James and I got to a point where there was nothing else I could do. I was on medication and had been, and I had been seeing a counselor and all of those things. And I was at the end of my rope and I said, James, I want Jesus. And it wasn't, I need Jesus because you always do. But I was like, I want him right now because I can't, you know, and that was different from the place that I had been in. Cause I was kind of like pushing that away a little bit. I was never mad at God, but I was definitely like, why, why me? Why is this happening? Um, but I just looked at James and said, I want him. And I over and over again was just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I just want you, you know? And so James kind of wrapped me up in a hug in the hot tub and, um, just started praying and I was weeping and he said the Holy Spirit told him to take me inside to his mom. And so we got out and I'm soaking wet. He's also soaking wet and we go in and I'm just, you know, shaking and Ella's there and my mom's there and his mom is there. 
And he said, Mom, will you pray for her? Because that's what he felt like the Holy Spirit had told him to do was take me inside and have my mother-in-law pray. And I, I, all I could do was just sit soaking wet in the middle of their den. <laughs> and um, she got up really fast and came down to the floor and she just started praying. And I was just on my hands and knees, face to the ground, and I was done. <laughs> I just wanted to be done. And um, so she starts praying and James is down there praying. And my mom is experiencing this for... <laughs> Like the first time in her spiritual walk, which I think ended up being really powerful later. Um, so they're praying. And um, then Dona switched into uh, speaking in tongues. She started speaking. I mean, she was praying, praying, praying. And then you could just, you felt the atmosphere change. You felt the Holy Spirit come in the room and she started praying in tongues. And in that moment, I had this vision um, that I was actually like, just my head was in Jesus's lap. And he said, Allie, I see you. I'm not leaving you like this. I'm not going to leave you like this. And that felt really comforting to me. And then so she kept praying in tongues. And all of a sudden, I felt like a spirit leave. Like I felt the spirit of depression lift. And I didn't even sit up from the floor. They had their hands on me. But Dona and James both at the same time looked at each other and said, she was just healed right now. She just got healed. And so they started praising God and I sat up and I looked around. I was like, Whoa, I can breathe. I don't even know who that was five seconds ago on the ground. And I haven't looked back since that day. I was genuinely like healed supernaturally in that moment. Um, now it's still been like a little bit of a battle where like the lies will start, but I actually have the strength and can claim the victory and healing that I had. And, you know, like, no, Jesus, he did heal me and you're not taking that from me again, you know, and I've been able to like very quickly dismiss anything that would come my way, um, just through getting some scripture on my heart and all of that. Um, and just claiming that I was healed in that moment. But yeah, I mean, that's really where the story, you know, my, actual terrible depression ended was wow. with Christ healing me. Wow. So. Yeah, that's, I mean, such an incredible and amazing story of, you know, a journey that you went on. And I think there's a couple of things that were so powerful in you talking kind of through this scenario. And one of the first ones that really stuck out to me was the doctor that you encountered in the ER the very first time validating yes your feelings yes. and i think that that is so incredibly important in our community and in our circles mm -hmm. that so many times you know especially when we're dealing with mental health things we want to sort of shoo them away or oh well you're just not praying enough or oh you're just yes. not whatever but somebody looked at you and said i understand and your feelings yes. are valid and while they may not be normal, you know, in air quotes, compared to the the vast majority of the population, they are normal for what you are experiencing right, right now. Right. And having somebody validate those emotions, whether yes. it is a doctor, a friend, your spouse, validation is so important because if you don't have somebody that's doing that for you, what you end up feeling is further isolation and, and guilt and guilt yes. and that you're, you know, that things are just not okay and that you're mm -hmm. inherently flawed. I think that, um, one of the other important things to kind of, to talk about there, um, when, and again, I, I'm a nurse. And so I think about things very clinically, um, 
but Allie kind of talking through the example of getting on the antidepressants for the first time and them doing a wonderful, you know, beginning healing work Mm -hmm. in her life, Mm -hmm. but then them allowing her to suddenly feel better enough that she ended up feeling worse. And so many people don't realize that. And I think it's so important for the public to really understand that there are a lot of times when people are at their absolute bottom, they don't have the ability to kind of do anything about their bottom, but it's actually when they start to feel better Mm -hmm. They're capable then of doing something. And that's where those suicidal risk factors really start to take place. So I think that's important for people to know because I think because we live in a, you know, ER, Grey's Anatomy, you know, Chicago Med kind of world, we think, oh, here's a pill. (laughs) It fixes everything. And while medication is wonderful and I think – you know, I think God given inspiration to man to be able to figure those things out. I do think it's important for people that are, have friends and family dealing with mental health to know that a pill doesn't necessarily fix everything right away. And that there are things you need to be careful of and to watch for along the journey back to health. Yes. Well, I mean, we're, we're integrated people. Like our lives, our lives are physical, our lives are social, our lives are mental, our lives are spiritual, and they're all together. And I think that we really want to silo those things. And the the conversation about mental health, which none of us feel even qualified to talk about, we either dismiss it, Mm -hmm. you know, or we over-spiritualize it. We make a thing. Because they're going to be, and if you're a listener, I encourage you, you... It'd be really easy to hear your story and go, okay, I get it. And in the end, you just said a prayer and then that was it. And it's like, right. guys, this is a way deeper oh, yeah. narrative yeah, than, yeah, just, yeah. than just that. Um, and that the beauty of understanding, and I've, I've heard one guy say, you know, we have mind, we have problems with our mind. And then sometimes we have problems with our brain. And you, you need to distinguish, you know, those things. That there's, there's, there's a way of thinking, and then there's also a chemical. And and we don't really always know where that line is. It's not mm-hmm. like that. There's, you know, we're not, you know, you look at those old things in probably nursing school where they're showing you which parts of the brain, you know, they're subdividing it on a piece of paper. That's not how it's functioning for us. We can't just just say no. Okay, that's a brain. That's a mind. That's a spirit. That's a this and that, and use some terms. There, you said, you know, I felt like that spirit of depression, mm-hmm. you know, and I think for some, if you come out of a, like a charismatic uh, type background, then that's everybody's answer for everything, you know. It's and a spirit. I, yeah. Right. Well, every mental, yeah. every mental illness is somehow then uniquely tied to demonic possession or, right. and that's just simply not the biological fact of the matter. But as the church, sometimes that's what we want to do, which again, further isolates people. You know, you're just not, what is it you're not doing? You're not praying enough. You're not reading enough. You're not believing enough. You're not doing whatever those churchy word things are, which then again, further isolates the people that are, um, you know, dealing. I heard something the other day and it was a kind of a, a word slip. The person didn't mean to say what they said, but I thought, man, that's so right on what people don't need in those moments is solitude. They need solidarity. 
they need somebody to sit with them and right. to validate right. and to say, yes, 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 I get it. I understand. And even if I don't, I'm going to sit with you in it mm-hmm. and listen. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and, and I think to that to that point on the spirit part, um, we have taken that word and made it so narrow. So I do believe, I mean, look. Half of Jesus's miracles, he was dealing with the spirit world, or he's telling something to leave, Mm -hmm. or something's trying to destroy someone, and he came to take authority over those things. And Mm -hmm. that's a part that we're scared of. That's a part that we see abused. If you watch late night televangelists or whatever, you know, or 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 it seems like this simple, hey, we're gonna we're gonna we can get our answer immediately, you know, by this. And I don't think that's the way even Jesus he would tell them Mm -hmm. not just go. I think about the demoniac who had the, the legion and the pigs go over the cliff and right. all. I mean, Jesus said, go back in to your town, live in this community and tell, like, you're going to have to go live this out now. And I think about, hey, naked guys coming back into town right? and he's going to have to live with people. And that's, you know, you, 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 that makes me want to write his story. Who knows what the heck happened? But Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when we lose that original real meaning of that word spirit, which is a, which is breath or wind. Mm-hmm. Meaning it's not always like, it's not always some third party entity that you walk in a certain, yes, there is the Holy Spirit. A, mm-hmm. He is absolutely his own personality uh, in, in the triune being of God. And then you do have evil spirits mm-hmm. who are their own. You have, you know, those things scripturally. But I think that that word is broader than that. The spirit of your mind is not talking about just your, oh, that's your spirit now right. as its own third party, meaning like that's a way of thinking mm-hmm. that is deeper than just the way you think. Like there is a way you think that has a breath, that has a life or yes. has a death to it. And he's saying, look, be renewed in in the breath of your mind mm-hmm. that there's another way. And so I, I think about that when you said, and yes, I do believe the enemy will take opportunity Absolutely. These things are not siloed. They're not, the categories all run together. I mean, the Bible tells us that the devil is out to kill, steal, and destroy. He will use whatever means necessary. And if we are already in a weakened state, what adversary wouldn't take advantage of a weakened state? So it's not like we can separate this into, oh, that's mental and not spiritual or that's spiritual and not physical. Like you said, we're completely integrated and these things often have touch points in all areas. Yeah. They're connected. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like there was a part in my brain. I'm still on medication today for it. Like, my physical brain was broken, and I feel like the enemy utilized that yep. and heightened it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I think that's so important to acknowledge and realize. You had a divine encounter in that moment when some things changed for you, but yet you're still also taking advantage of the things that, again, I think are divinely inspired from, <laughs> yes. you know, a holy God to man to be able to control the other things that are still in the process of being healed in you. And I think that's so um, important to realize that healing sometimes is instantaneous. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it is a combination of all of those things and it looks different for every person and that's okay. And, you know, 
having a child is such a unique experience for each individual and then each family unit. And there is so much that comes into play with having a baby that nobody ever talks about, honestly, because we don't want to scare people. But, you know, there's so much about your identity before you become a mom and things that are that are wrapped up. And that when you're all of a sudden now thrown into a a cesspool of crazy hormones, Mm -hmm. no sleep, uh, you know, a new child to take care of all of these things, it kind of is just a prime um opportunity for for things to happen and I I think that we don't again we don't talk about them often enough I don't think even in the public arena but we certainly don't talk about these things often enough in the church because even if we look at scripture we there's so many things about children being a blessing and motherhood and the holiness of these things that when you feel like you've got like like I always say the busted mom gene, like when yes. your gene for that is broken, it makes you feel so much less than almost even in a spiritual sense. And yes. it's not just a physical sense, an emotional sense. It's a spiritual um, shift as well. And so I think what you're doing is so important to acknowledge those. So you've been on this journey you've kind of, you know, you're still going through it and you're in this process. Yes. But tell us about like, what you're doing with this experience now, because I think it's so powerful that the shift that you've decided to make, um, even in your career and everything else to kind of, to, to kind of deal with this or bring these things to the forefront. Yeah. Um, so after really coming out of the thick of it, as I like to say, um, I, I really felt like the, uh, Lord was telling me like, don't be silent about this because I was, nobody knew I was going through it when I was going through it. But afterwards I just felt really, uh, led to share that. And so I actually took to social media because that's just a really easy platform to put it out there. And so that's where I first put it out there. And the response from that and people coming out of the woodworks that you never would have known went through something very similar was insane. Um, And so really after that, I was like, there is a need for um, awareness about this. And I don't know that there's a cure out there for what happens, but there definitely is, there, there can be an understanding from other people. Um, uh, you know, I was really blessed that my husband was so understanding and so willing to help and lay down like his physical needs to, he was the one up with the baby and, um, also going to work during the day and all of that. So I was, I was really blessed to have that because I do have a friend whose husband, you know, she's going through it and he's like, what's wrong with you? You know, why are you feeling this is your fault? This is, you know, and so just get better. Yeah, we should be happy. Yeah, Just get better. You know, whatever. So what I've started is called PPD journey because I do believe healing is going to be a journey. I don't think that I think my situation was very unique in that it, you know, was almost instantaneous, but it still continued for me. The battle still continued. And so um, me being vocal and me starting PPD journey has been healing for me as I continue to walk this road with it. Um, But like I said, I just think it's so important that there's awareness brought to it. And especially within the church, like we've been talking, I don't think medication is used nearly enough in mental health issues within the church. I mean, people are like, well, you just haven't prayed enough or whatever, but you wouldn't look at somebody with cancer or diabetes and say, and well, you just haven't prayed enough. You right. don't need well, medication that's exactly for that. Exactly right. We like, treat are it you kidding so me? differently? Yeah, and I'm like, no, I'm I'm ill. Like, <laughs> you know, I have an actual six, uh, sickness, um, and and that needs to be addressed medically. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, so PPD journey, really all that it is about is finding healing through community. And so what I really want to do is bring awareness. And then I have a forum on our website where hopefully women will start to talk as they're going through it, because sometimes it's not easy to open up to people around you because you're like, I really want to throw my kid out of the car or throw her at a wall. But you can't say that, you know, like DCS is going to get called on you or whatever. Well, and I think it's so important to realize, especially with postpartum, that not everyone's postpartum involves harmful thoughts towards their child. Right. There are a lot of women who suffer from postpartum um, that don't have those particular negative mm-hmm. thoughts toward their children, but certainly have the negative thoughts towards themselves. So each situation, although commonalities, is Very extremely different. unique Very and different. different. And I think basically what you've created is kind of a different um, Me Too movement. And, you know, the words Me Too the Me Too movement in particular is, you know, particularly about sexual abuse and, um, you know, gender empowerment and and things. But I think there's something so important just about the words Me Too and having a place where women can hear. Like, hey, yeah, same. Yeah, same. Me Too. Yeah. Um, Especially because I think in our world, there's a whole lot more, you know, mom shaming and parent shaming and things that go on that do contribute to this. And it's very prevalent in social media. Mm -hmm. So having a counter voice to that shame is just incredible. Yeah. And I think women being encouraged by other women who have gone through it is super healing. I really do. Like, like you said earlier, it's, it's validating, you know, like you're like, well, maybe I'm not crazy. You know, the essence of the whole gospel is that, is that Jesus came to experience what we're experiencing so that he could sympathize and could help Right, right. in his case, redeem. And, but we miss that, that beauty of community. Is that that's that's really it's not <clears throat> it's not just a buzzword thing. It's a no no. When you know what I've been through, then something different happens on a different level. Yes, that creates the stage. It may not be instantaneous, like you said, but even with Jesus, our healing, although our spirit has been already made whole in Christ, the rest of our lives are on that journey you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. So we're on a journey, and He's healing. He's redeeming every day. So no, I think it's beautiful, and it's and it's courageous. So courageous. So it's so brave just to hear you tell the story and to not hold back hard parts. We have a story that we don't you know have time to share today. Sure. And Laura went through a lot of things that we discovered along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh and we will share that on another episode. But to hear you say that and I, tell me the website name so people know where to go. It's called ppdjourney.com. Okay. So go to ppdjourney.com mm-hmm. and they can get information there. I see you have like a lot of handouts. Are these right? Your organizations, they are awesome, yes. and they're they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're well done. Lots of information there, obviously. And you were talking about awareness, empowerment, right. community. Right, I mean, right, right. This is great. Awareness, yeah. empowerment, community. I don't know how I can make an. I, I just think that. that it's so important to realize. I mean, you know, as much as this has been such a hard journey for Allie and James, mm-hmm. um, and James has been just a part of this journey. You yeah. know, yeah. Um, we often kind of don't talk about the impact that these things have on the spouse or the partner. Um, but I think that what's so cool is that even in the mud of this, again, God's ability to redeem all things, he's uniquely gifted um, James and Allie to have some ability with videography and other yeah. things that they can take 
this firestorm that they went through and turn it into something so beautiful because God has blessed them with some resources and some downright talent um, to be able to do these things. So I think that those are special things that we can't overlook that even in the, even in the midst of the hard stuff, Mm -hmm. God was already making provision for this to happen. Yeah. That's amazing. It really, really is. Will you guys be sure? And I wish we, again, we could talk for two more hours. We need to have you back on sometime. Would you be willing to come back? No, I would absolutely love that. Great. We'd love to know stories and how this is helping uh, families and, and, and women in particular as much as possible out there. So, And we'll try to put some links up or something yeah. when you post this podcast, <clears throat> um, maybe to PPD Journey and also um, give women a place to contact Allie. But this is something to, hey, take to your next OBGYN appointment. Get some flyers from Allie. Um, help her spread the word because I think the message is so very important. And I think that they're just starting to scratch the surface of impact that they're going to have. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for sharing it. And uh, you guys be sure to share, especially if you know somebody, I mean, everybody is impacted in the, it, mm-hmm. we all are impacted in, in any sort of mental health capacity. And so this might be something really helpful for someone to listen to in your life. So send them a link and share it, uh, subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know uh, more questions you have for us or more topics you want us to discuss. We'll be back with Johnny uh, next week. And uh, thank in you the meantime, s- catch him on Amazon Prime. Yeah, go to Amazon right. Prime, catch Johnny, and we're very, very proud of him and excited for what's happening in his life. And honey, as always, appreciate you uh, co-hosting with me. You're an incredible co-host. You do a great job. And I love listening to your voice in my ears. He has to tell me these things. <laughs> and Allie, appreciate you being here. And yes, thank you absolutely. so much. Thank you, James, for uh, keeping Ella for us today. Yes. So, yeah. So, but we appreciate you guys, and we'll see you next time on Talk About That. There's nothing in this world that he cannot do if we truly allow his love. We can do nothing without him. Anything that we do apart from him is not something that's permanent. We all need his grace. That's everybody. We are all broken people on our way to a place that we believe is, is waiting on us in heaven. You can find more of Bridges with Monica Schmelter at lifeaudio.com. In Christ, we are all one family. Amen.